On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we are joined by the voice of the New England Patriots, Bob Sosi. Uh, we talk, obviously, the Patriots and the path to the playoffs and how the Patriots have revitalized their season, what it's going to look like this year and moving forward. It's a heck of a conversation, as it always is with Bob. So buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has Pass. Wilson, quick throw. And it's some news i got some 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 interesting news uh yesterday well not i mean it's not really news but i'm a year out from my surgery um that's right yeah i had my good for you uh wednesday was my was my one year i had my meeting with the doctors and uh down 90 95 and a half pounds since in one year Um, hey you might be the only one having a good 2020 (laughs) or the last year but hey for as long as i've known you i'm happy for you that that's awesome yeah, that it's, is awesome, uh, right? I it's mean, unbelievable. Cool accomplishment um, for you and, and everybody else involved. And yeah, you should be proud of yourself. Like I said, you might be the only one who can look back <laughs> on this past year and say, wow, it's been pretty positive, right? Yeah, it's wild. You're looking at old pictures. I'm like, you know, someone will send me a picture and I'm like, oh my God, that was, that was me? And they're like, yeah, like, whoa, okay. Same here. It's, it's a big one difference. for my grad party is so different too. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, we've shared some of those on there, you know what I mean, on, on Twitter and whatnot, but. Yeah, it's been a uh, it's been a year. It's been a year, that's for sure. You know, and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, but uh, but anyways, we uh, great show coming up with Bob Sosi, obviously voice of the Patriots, and and I think you know we get into it with him. But I mean, they're not dead. They're not dead, man. We were no, talking about not. like like the season's over and let's tank and this and then and all of a sudden it's like what hey. a difference in, in a, w- a week makes with us. I mean, our conversation last week, looking forward to next year and everything, and yep. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, they hold the tiebreaker versus Baltimore, Vegas, mm-hmm. Miami, who are all six and three ahead of them. And then, you know, sprinkle in Indianapolis and Tennessee. One of them is going to be a division winner. You know, they're going right. to beat up on each other. So um, I think for the Patriots and our fans, take it one week at a time. I mean, we're here. We're on the hump. If they get to 500, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. And hey, let's roll. You got Arizona who's struggling tonight and, you know, I know Kyler Murray's doing some crazy things. I think they'll have some problems not to look too, too far down the road, but Hey, one, one play at a time, one yard at a time. Let, let's just, uh, let's cherish it. Because like I said, what a difference a week and a half, two weeks makes really six quarters makes. Cause we're back in it now. Well, it's crazy. I mean, you think about, I think back to Levin Reed when he, when we had Levin on after the Buffalo game, we're like, they're two and five and the season's over. And what are we going to do in this and that? And, and I remember he said, they get to five and six as a shot. And that that meant that they had to win three out of the next four. They've already won two of those games. So if they win on Sunday, now they've already won those three. Even if they lose to Arizona, you're still at that five and six mark, and you have a chance moving forward. You know, I think that 
that's really the that's really the spot. And and I think this is an interesting week because I don't want to say it's a trap game because the NF in in the NFL certainly with the Patriots they don't take anyone lightly. They really try. And you heard Belichick, you know, throwing heaping praise on this Texans team this week. But you know, obviously we're looking forward to Arizona next week. Uh, that's going to be a tough matchup, as as we know. But you know, it's no joke. With you got to win this Texans game. You have to win this Texans game. And so it's a game where you know they should win. They're the better team. But like, there's still some concern. You going on the road into Houston, and so it's a big game this week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, their record does not um, kind of show who they are. Have had some tough losses, but they're they're zero and seven versus teams not named the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Crazy. come on, Patriots, don't take one step, two steps forward, and one back. Let's let's, let's right. hold on here and and keep this train moving. I think they're they're trending in the right direction. The last you know few weeks, for sure, for sure, makes you feel a lot better. So. Anyways, uh, we're going to get right into the Bob into the into the interview with Bob Sosi. Uh, as always, just a fantastic guy, one of the best guys in the industry, and uh, has has graciously come on again with us, and we appreciate that. And uh, and obviously, you can hear him on every Sunday. Um, you know, with uh, with the call again, well, Sunday or Monday, depending on when they play, uh, with the call of the Patriots game. And so, uh, you know, give him a listen, and we will talk to you guys next week. All right, we are extremely pleased to welcome on a guy who has been on before. We love him. He is the voice of the Patriots, and a, a great job of it he does. Bob Sosi. Bob, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it, man. Uh, hey, it's good to be with you again, Pat and Ryan. And if you love having me on, uh, you know, I, I got to say I love being on. Uh, flattery will, uh, <laughs> you know, will get me to come on anytime. So I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously we had Ravens game last week and it was what a, I mean, what a win for them, obviously the weather and everything else and blah, blah, you know, people can make excuses as to why the Patriots won and the Ravens lost and everything else. But it was a game, frankly, that the Patriots again were seven point underdogs at home, which hadn't happened since I believe 2002, uh, which is crazy to think about. And of course they win. And now it seems like, it seems like now there's a path for them to get into the playoffs and listen, six quarters ago, six quarters ago at halftime of the Jets game down 20 to 10 against the New York friggin' Jets. It was like the season's over. We're done. Cancel everything. And now six quarters later, we're talking about maybe being in the playoffs. It's, it's a, it's a wild time to be a Patriots fan. <laughs> yeah. There have been, uh, you know, so many swings of the pendulum uh, this season from week one, all the excitement about the running game, right, and Cam's performance, and then even after the loss in Seattle, the way the Patriots threw the ball, particularly downfield against the Seahawks, and then the Patriots go through the, the bout with COVID and the outbreak after Cam tests positive, and there's the uncertainty before going out to Kansas City and playing that game the way they did and losing it as they did uncharacteristic mistakes, the veteran quarterback, Brian Hoyer and Newton instead, you know, making a couple of mental and physical errors that really cost the Patriots points that would have given them the opportunity to come away from Kansas city with a remarkable win under those circumstances. Then there's the long layoff from practice. Of course, the postponement of the Denver game, the loss to Denver, which was really surprising, if not stunning, I think to, to most, if not all of us, Followed by, of course, you know, really a, a, a very disappointing performance to put it very mildly against San Francisco, not just the outcome, but the mm-hmm. effort and the way the game unfolded from start 
to finish. Yeah. And then the Patriots, you know, we're right there with Buffalo. Cam turns the ball over on that final possession, infield goal range, and they've got to come back, as you mentioned, six quarters ago against the Jets, down 10 versus a winless team. But still the division foe, and still against a quarterback who's had some success against the Patriots, of course, on a big stage as a member of the Ravens, and a coach who's had success while he was in Miami against the Patriots, speaking of Adam Gase, despite his problems in New York. And yeah, after that win, a lot of people still doubting the Patriots, and then here we are after the win over the Ravens. And to your point about the weather, certainly uh, the Ravens were affected when you look at some of the poor snaps. But that being said, you know, the Ravens are really built to play in conditions like that. And you look at the matchup going in, regardless of the weather, wind and rain, still it seemed to be a favorable matchup for Baltimore. But I think what we saw with the Patriots' use of some personnel, including some of the young guys, and what we saw with the Patriots playing mistake-free football, that to me is the most encouraging thing about the last two games, but particularly in those conditions against the Ravens. And I think as much as you could say, well, the weather helped the Patriots because the Ravens played poorly, well, the weather could have hurt the Patriots just as easily. And they've been a team that's been prone to mistakes, and they were going up against a team that thrives off turnovers, like Baltimore does. So to me, when I look at the last couple of games and to your point about a playoff run, if the Patriots are going to mount a playoff run and they got to get to 500 first this weekend, of course, they're, they're going in the right direction because it starts with playing mistake-free football, not giving the ball away, not making some of the mental errors we've seen at times this year. And Bob, it, and obviously you, you're there, right? You, and, and you see the impact of Obviously, no fans. It must be so weird in there. See, looking around at Gillette, which you've seen for years, with just being filled with people and how hard it is to win there, despite who's coming to town. Do you think that's had any impact on them? I mean, obviously, they drop one versus Denver, San Francisco at home, which is so uncharacteristic of them. Um, I guess, does that kind of give them doesn't give them the best advantage, right? I mean, that's such a tough place to play. And then all of a sudden you got to come in. Obviously there's some fans at some games and I still don't think it has too much of an impact because obviously nobody's at full capacity, but coming to Gillette is, is a lot different this year than in years past. Yeah. I think that, that, you know, there is validity to that. Of course, every team is playing with either a much smaller crowd than usual or no fans at all. So I think, the home field advantage has been diminished, if not negated outright, this year in the NFL. For example, and, and I don't know if it's just coincidence, but the Thursday night games, I think the records of road teams are a lot better this year than they've been in the past on, on the short weeks, which is interesting because it's still a short mm-hmm. week and you still have to turn around and get on a plane and, and travel to the, the home destination. But you know that record reflects that there is less of a home field advantage, at least in that situation, and we've seen other teams around the league go on the road and, and win impressively. Uh, and, I, and I think you're right. It's, you have to generate your own energy. When players have talked about it, they've uh, really compared it to being out on the practice field. And I think Belichick said it right away uh, this year, either week one or week two, you know, what's it like when you're not playing in front of any fans and it's a good practice. And then it is bizarre. And I think, you know, from the broadcaster standpoint or you know, someone going there to cover the games, it's so strange to drive down Route 1, and in some ways it's welcome that there's not a lot of traffic, but it's so strange to be going to the stadium and not see trucks and cars with their flags or you know, grills on the back on a flatbed heading down Route 1, one after the other, 
trying to get into the parking lots for the tailgating and then pulling into the parking lot and seeing, you know, all the, the cars already set up, the tailgaters have got their tents and, and chairs out ready to go, the grills fired up, uh, the, the stage and the music playing in the Hall of Fame Plaza area near Patriot Place. There's none of that. And you go into the stadium and you walk in there and there's a handful of security people and stadium staff. There's media scattered around, of course, uh, all socially distanced and wearing masks. You can't get down to the field. You go into the broadcast booth. Everybody kind of stays in their own booth and not nearly as many people are in, in that area where I work uh, for home games. And it is. It's, it, and the team comes out of the tunnel. And they come charging down the sideline like they always did the past. And Julian Edelman would lead the team into the oh. corner of the end zone, and the fans would be going crazy, be pumping assists. And see guys coming out, and, and you hear like you hear the sounds of the, the the machine that makes the smoke when they come charging out of the tunnel. You know, shoo, shoo, crazy. Shoo, you know, and then they run down to the other end of the stadium in the end zone, and, and there's nobody there. There's nobody there to greet them. So you're, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it is strange. And I think, like, you know, you look at the game like against Denver and maybe the game against San Francisco to a lesser degree, maybe having a home crowd would have really gotten them over the hump. The, 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 the Niners came in there and dominated. But a game yeah. like, like, like Denver, yeah, I, I think it, it certainly could have helped. That being I said, so. you know, when the Patriots go on the road against Houston – uh, there, there's not going to be a full house in NRG Stadium, so maybe it helps them. That's true. Yeah. No, it's funny with the you know Spags being a uh, a first year season ticket holder and not going to a game is is tough. And of course, oh yeah, <laughs> you know this is going to be this is going to be my first year not going to a Patriots game since 1992. And so you know when I was eight years old, this is the last time I didn't go to a Patriots game. So it's it's definitely a strange feeling not being in the stadium every week and. You know, not just and and it's not just the game, of course. Like you said, it's the tailgate before, it's the hanging out, it's the you know we go, whatever. You know, do, you do all the stuff. I get in like an hour before, and I'm watching pregame, and I'm watching and like there's so much stuff that you miss because you just what you can just watch it on TV, and that's that's a challenge. So, but you were talking about the road games. Are you guys? You guys don't. Are you guys not traveling with the team? Right? You're. Are you recording everything from Gillette? Even the road game. Yeah, we are broadcasting. We're 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 in the, our our radio booth, home and away from Gillette oh. Stadium every game, and when we go in for the road games, it's obviously it's even more eerie. Sometimes it's 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 truly, uh, you know, like like you're in the Twilight Zone or Bizarro World because we'll walk in there for a night game, for example, and the Revolution Youth Program, they're under eighteen, under sixteen teams, etc. They'll be out on the field practicing. So we go into the broadcast booth to call the Patriots game off the television monitors in the booth from Seattle or Kansas City, and there's a soccer practice taking place out in front of us. So there wasn't that uh, the night the Patriots played the Jets. But, yeah, we go in there, and uh, we have a setup with two TV monitors each. One of them has the TV feed that you see from CBS, Fox, or ESPN, and the other has the so-called All-22. It's a high sideline view so you can see the entire field. We get a mix of some of the effects of the players, you know, the pop, shoulder pads popping and whatnot from mm. the stadium, and, and, and that's mixed in with some recorded crowd noise. And we go to work from, from the home broadcast booth, again, when the Patriots are on the road. And when that's... we leave, it's a dark and almost completely barren stadium, just a, a very Crazy. small skeleton staff of security people. It is, so, it's, uh... it's really bizarre. And that's that's got to be really challenging for you guys, you know, as as broadcasters, because, 
you know, typically the game is happening in front of you and you can see, and of course you have the all 22, so you can see what's going on, but it's not the same as it being in front of you. And so that's gotta be a real challenge. Have you done anything like that before in the, you know, in the past where you're calling a live game, but not actually there? Uh, I feel like that's gotta be really challenging. I think the last time I probably did was when I was a kid in my basement watching games on TV. <laughs> like we all do. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it, it, I will say this. I, I don't want to give any uh, program directors or executive producers out there, you know, for budgetary reasons, any ideas in the future, but it's not as bad as I, I, I feared it would be to this point in, in terms of the challenge actually and so far for us, the, the handful of games we've had on the road, it's gone relatively smoothly in terms of the technical uh, setup. Now, That's I have good, a colleague, for example, in Buffalo, John Murphy, who got caught in a bind because their second game they were playing in Miami, and lightning struck the CBS truck. Oh, baby. Or at least lightning struck nearby and it knocked out the power to the CBS truck. So CBS lost its television feed from the Dolphins-Bills game, which meant that broadcasting back in Buffalo, they had, they couldn't watch the game. So he had to try to call or at least relay the play-by-play off the internet what he was getting on the, the NFL GSIS system, which is the in-house stat service that the NFL provides for media during the games. It's really the same as like an ESPN GameCast. That's how he was calling the game. He That's would wait for the update play after play. It was like an old-time baseball announcer recreating games. Uh, when when announcers didn't travel uh, to road games, so wow. it, it's it could could be a lot more challenging than it's been for us thus far. Uh, but the, the the strangest part of it, as, as I said, is kind of going into this an empty stadium and, and 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 you're you're trying to generate your own energy. You're calling the game off TV and you hear some crowd noise. Again, it's recorded in the headset. And once the game gets going, you really try to focus. But one of the things about broadcasting live events is that at least in my case, I feel like the announcer feeds off the energy of the crowd. We always keep our windows open in our booth, however cold it is, because we want to feel the game. We want to have that energy from the fans and be able to draw off it. And it, and it really does make a difference, especially you know, working with Scott Zolak because he plays to the crowd. I was going to say, he goes nuts. You, know, <laughs> you guys are a good mix. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big part of what we do. And, and I, hate, I hate the fact that there aren't fans. I hate the fact that there aren't, you know, the, the, the full complement of stadium staff. It's one of the things that I always enjoy about going to the stadium is walking in early and seeing the stadium come to life on a game day. And, yeah. You know, walking around the field and seeing some of the security people or some of the other stadium staff. The, the elevator attendants, the press box attendants that you see week after week, people in the dining room that are there game after game. And there's none of that interaction. And even when you see some of your colleagues now, there's very little uh, chatter because we're all wearing masks and we're all trying to be respectful of one of uh, another's spaces. Right. That's yeah. crazy. It is. It is. And like I said, you and, you and Scott do a great job. It's, it, you can definitely feel the energy when, when you listen on the radio and, it's great. But moving on to, to Houston, obviously we kind of talked about the path for them to make the playoffs. Obviously it's, it's one week at a time for the Patriots. It starts this week now trying to get back to 500 versus a lesser opponent, obviously who Belichick gave a lot of praise to this week in his press conference, definitely have some talent. I don't think their record, um, you know, shows what type of team they are. Obviously 
you have six teams at six and three. Two of them are in the same division. So, you know, one of them could knock each other out yeah. with being Indianapolis and Tennessee. And then obviously, you know, you have the tiebreaker versus Vegas, um, Miami, and I'm blanking on another one. Who's the other and team? The, the Ravens. Oh, Baltimore. The, in Baltimore. You have the yep. tiebreaker against Baltimore. Right. Too. So, and obviously we yeah. have Miami, um, you know, one more time here to, to close out, I believe, in week 16. So, um, I guess heading into Houston, what what do you what have you seen the last I guess two weeks that or six quarters I guess uh, that's really turned this season around I think you know Chase Winovich was unbelievable on Sunday night the offense was was good when it had to be but it really started with that defense it seems like they're starting to come to fruition and really get you know find their identity as a unit as, as we move on here as the weeks continue to pile up. Yeah, they were, you know, they they were really hamstrung uh, by the personnel losses to start the year, right? The the free agency uh, departures of Van Noy and Collins, Landon Roberts, Danny Shelton uh, going as well, and then the opt outs with Hightower and Chang. Yeah. And it's a reminder of just how valuable, for example, Dante Hightower is. I think he's one oh, of the more awesome. underappreciated standout athletes in our region. Uh, certainly one of the one of the great Patriots. Uh, of, of this dynastic one that they've enjoyed the last 20 years. But mm. you, you look at the inability to stop the run, for example, and, and just how, di- how dominant San Francisco was in particular, and then the Bills as well. And Buffalo at that point in time was really trying to generate a running game. They were not running it well until they played the Patriots. And then to see the way the Pats played against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, and you mentioned Chase Winovich. Uh, his snap count had been down in recent weeks went back up a bit against the Jets, and then really had an amplified role last Sunday versus the Ravens. And they used him a bit off the ball. They used him on the edge. Kyle Duggar's play, I think, very encouraging, the aggressiveness that he showed. And and the run force from from a guy like Duggar uh, coming up and taking care of the edge at times, along with even Jason McCourty who did a really key play as well in that game to set up a, a fourth down failed attempt by the Ravens. I think with Carl Davis on the interior and Lawrence Guy back, you know, that gives them what uh, some 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 beef, some bulk up front that they really need. It's it's a matter of being light up front in terms of size, but also sheer numbers of people in the front seven. I think that, that's really uh, ha- hampered the defense uh, for a good part of this year. The secondary is still a strength. They've given up a lot of big plays. They didn't do that against Baltimore when the Ravens did look to take their shots downfield McCourty blanketed Hollywood Brown on that first possession later JC Jackson comes up with the interception when the Ravens are in scoring range or at least about to be in scoring range before the end of the first half I think that's really encouraging Uh, they've got to be able to do that however I think against a much more dangerous team throwing the ball downfield on Sunday because Deshaun Watson will keep plays alive we know how talented he is. We saw it here at Gillette several years ago uh, when he nearly led the Texans to a win only because because of a Brandon Cook's touchdown catch in the final seconds. And then kind of mismanaging the clock on that final possession for Houston, they didn't get a chance to, to beat the Patriots that day. And then last year, uh, he had a great day against the Patriots. I think three touchdown passes, and he caught a touchdown pass. And there is no DeAndre Hopkins, but Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, uh, Kenny Stills, the two tight ends that they have. I mean, there's still some problems the Patriots are going to have to contend with. Now, he's, yeah. he's not running the ball very well this year, and they're not defending the, the, the run very well this year. Their defense is not what it's been 
you know, some of those guys who were really good players for them are kind of on the downslope. The secondary hasn't been as good. Uh, Roby's been in and out of the lineup. He got suspended for a game a couple of weeks ago as their top cornerback. But, but still, he's always played well against the Patriots. And the Texans are like a division foe. They, they're so familiar with the path. I think since I started calling the games, this would be the eighth meeting of the Patriots and the Texans, you know, going back to 2013. So there's that institutional familiarity because you've got a lot of Patriot influences there and former Patriots. But then there's just that familiarity of playing against one another. And I know it's not Tom Brady, it's Cam Newton, but it's still, you know, the Patriots in in Houston, a lot of those guys have practiced against the Pats in the recent past and and played against them, as I said. No, for sure. You're right. And, And speaking of the secondary, you know, a guy who's been out, for really an extended period of time, a lot longer than I think people had expected when he went out was Stephon Gilmore. And, uh, you know, there, of course, there were rumors swirling about him being traded, which, of course, didn't happen. Um, have you heard anything about him? Does he, does it look like he's going to come back this week? And, you know, it just seems like a it just seems like a weird situation that he just seems to me like he's been out longer than I had anticipated him being out. And I think it really helped him this week, especially, like you said, with an explosive offense like Houston. Uh, to have another guy back there, and J.C. Jackson's been playing great uh, as an interception, I think, in four straight games. So he's, you know, he's he's playing very well. But um, you know, having Stephon Gilmore would be pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what makes a lot of people raise questions now with this absence is what took place earlier in the year. You know, the the the, the salary bump reports that Gilmore wasn't happy going into training camp and, and later reports that Gilmore didn't fully participate in the voluntary activities, albeit they were, they were virtual. And there's a sense that he was dissatisfied with the situation that's been reported and certainly widely discussed locally. And, and then he gets off to really a, a substandard start from him, defensive pass interference penalties, getting beat, Granted, against DK Metcalf, who's really, really talented. But nonetheless, getting beat in ways we didn't see in in the last couple of years, Uh, at least not since the early part of 2017, as I think about it, uh, because Gilmore did have a period of adjustment when he signed with the Patriots that first month or so. But after that, it was was, shut down city. So I think that, you know, some people wondered, well, you know, is this play reflective of, you know, something different with his attitude. And then the, the Niners game, I think, was a, a game in which a lot of people questioned effort at times. And I think that he did legitimately get hurt. I think there's no reason to doubt that. Uh, I, I, I don't have any reason to, to, to think that he's out because he doesn't want to be out there. Uh, I think the mm-hmm. Belichick talked the other day about you know, going through some tests with him and Julian, you know, making sure that uh, they were ready to actually start practicing to tick the cl- start the clock on them. So I don't, I, I don't have any extra insight into his situation uh, for this weekend. Uh, Edelman, it doesn't look like he's going to play this weekend, but I, I think a return for him next week would be sooner than expected. And I think if that happens, that, that's going to be a, a really welcome addition really for nice. them. Yeah, both of those guys. And, and, if, and if they don't get Gilmore back this week, then, you know, and if there is any doubt, to me, you know, the Arizona game, you're going from the Texans to the Cardinals with those receivers. Yeah. You know, either, either way, they're going to need him. So right. 
you know, we'll see. But I do think a lot of it is because of what happened early in the year. And, you know, hopefully when he does come back, he's good. if he's playing for uh, a, a better salary here or elsewhere next year, you know, and again, he's, he's, he's at that age now where we're automatically teams look at you differently because you passed exactly. that 30 year old mark, you know, uh, he's got a lot to play for if he does come back, uh, whether or not he was satisfied with his contract going into the season. For sure. Yeah. And Bob fat now fast forwarding to, to next year. I know it's hard to, to stay in the moment these days, but I think it's an interesting conversation where we can kind of go to, to, to kind of wrap up here. And, and it's interesting in a lot of ways, um, the quarterback position, right? I think, it's changing each week. I think Cam is starting to find his groove again and getting more comfortable. He's certainly been one of the more elite quarterbacks over the last three games. Even that Jets game was was shaky from a defensive standpoint, but I think he was very good. He was really good last week. And then obviously Buffalo minus the fumble uh, was, I thought, one of his better games of the year. Going into next year, um, it's an interesting, obviously, they're, it's looking like they're not going to at least originally pick inside the top 10 to get one of those, you know, and I don't think it was possible to begin with at all. Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence or even Zach Wilson now at BYU, who's kind of jumping Trey Lance uh, from South Dakota State. Is it going to be Cam Newton here? I think it's an interesting question what his price tag will be. Obviously, you see Bill Belichick has praised him even before he was here. He spoke about his leadership um, the other day. We've seen Cam be super accountable. And, and really been a leader and I think opened a lot of eyes and changed a lot of people's opinions on him um, as he's been here. Uh, I guess it's interesting what his price tag would be. Will he be the type of guy that they'll give, you know, a 2 to 40, 45? Obviously, the guarantees can mix in there. We don't have to get into those. And then, you know, draft a guy early on and, and develop him. Obviously, this offseason, it was the Jared Stidham show till mm-hmm. late June. And, and it was it's been a whirlwind there since Tom left. And, and I just I'm curious to hear your perspective on kind of which direction they may go. And, and honestly, we, we might not know yet. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think what, a couple of things. Number one, I, the more I think about it, and, and it, it's, you know, maybe in, in, you know, unless you've actually gone through it, you wouldn't understand the difficulty of it. Coming in as a quarterback in the NFL – going to an entirely new organization with an entirely different offense yeah, and doing it in July on the doorstep of training camp with no spring, no OTAs, no passing camp. He didn't even have the opportunity to dive into play, to the playbook back in the spring. So he wasn't even participating in the virtual OTAs like the other quarterbacks were. And then right. he signs in July and it's a, it's a truncated training camp, fewer practices than usual because they had that ramp up which is a lot of conditioning and walkthroughs before they actually started practicing, no mm-hmm. preseason games. It's a lot to ask, even for a 10-year guy coming off a couple of injury-riddled seasons. Uh, it's a lot to ask of any quarterback to, to come into that role and look like you know he's, he, he belongs in that system right away and is comfortable and confident in that system. And it started well. The Patriots ran the ball well against the Dolphins, and then he passed it well against Seattle. But then you think about the COVID situation, and he was asked today if the so-called COVID fog might have affected his uh, processing at the line of scrimmage. He talked about, you know, he was he had struggled um, pre-snap and so forth. When he and he he said no, that that wasn't it. But you have to wonder, a long left, not practicing, you know, not participating day after day 
in walkthroughs and, and running the offense and being out there in the practice field for a couple of weeks, how much of a setback that was and how the offense, instead of evolving, kind of had to go back to square one and then his mechanics got thrown out of whack and he really did struggle. He, he, he looked like he was not confident. He certainly didn't make good decisions. Yeah. looked like he was really unsure of himself for that stretch of time. Now, as you said, Ryan, he's coming back and playing a lot better. And I look at the options potentially for 2021. What are his options? What are the Patriots' options? The Patriots got him on a one-year deal for veterans minimum plus incentives. Who out there is going to give him, you know, a a, a lucrative deal for 2021? Unless he plays lights out from from here on out. But if he's healthy and uh, he continues to progress, I can see a situation where both Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels say, look, we really like this guy. You know, our, our, our players took to him. They, they really responded to his leadership. We saw a lot of positive signs. We'd like to work with him for an entire off season and spring. And maybe, you know, he can be the guy that gets us to the next quarterback yep, rather right. than try to find somebody else. Because to me, I think you're right. They're not in a position where they're going to get the franchise quarterback to come in and play on day one in 2021. And I don't think they're in a situation where they're going to shower somebody else with a ton of money and acquire a free agent or at least a quarterback who's on another team who will command a big contract to play in New England. So I just, I just think that the way things have shaped up for both Cam personally and for the Patriots collectively – it makes a lot of sense at this point. Yeah, Again, and there's sure. a huge if there. If he, if he stays healthy and if he continues to improve, right. yeah. then, then I think you know, he may be very well the best option they have. I don't think you want to get in a situation where you're constantly bringing guys in year after year. And I certainly don't think you want to be in a situation uh, for, the, for the pro-tank crowd where you intentionally lose games, but you're not there to get the, the sure thing. And there's very rarely a sure thing. Trevor Lawrence is probably the only thing in this draft that's a sure thing. Because so many other teams – you know, they find themselves desperately needing a quarterback, and they reach, and, and they take the wrong guy. Washington uh, so played that with Haskins yeah. recently. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's, there's an example of that, like, if not a couple of examples of that almost every year. When there's, and there's so much of it where, you know, the Patriots, just, just by the way of their nature, in the fact that they have a lot of young talent, they have a great coach, and they have a great coaching staff, they're just they're not in a position where they're going to be bad enough to get a top 3 pick no matter who's playing quarterback for them really i mean you know and so that becomes a difficulty because like okay you want to stink well that's fine but it's like what are you going to do you're going to trade everyone and then you know cut everyone and then what like then you got to pray that the guy you drafted number 1 is the guy and what if he isn't you know and so like that that's yeah. a, a really risky route to take and i think something that belichick has publicly said he, you know, I, I remember back when Manning got hurt and, you know, Indy had the whole suck for luck thing and he, he ripped them apart saying, you know, we would never be in a situation like that or our backup quarterback couldn't at least, you know, competently play. And, and, and of course that wasn't the exact quote, but, you know, paraphrasing him, of course, like he basically, he doesn't want to be in a position where he's going to have to tank. And, and I don't think that he wants that. And so it's going to be interesting he would, to see. He would never do that. No. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. And I don't, so, think, the, I don't think the ownership would ever <laughs> no, for that. Either. No, they don't. They don't. That, so that's the interesting thing is that to see what, what Cam, if he can continue to improve and continue to play the way he's been playing. And then, 
what's going to be interesting is like, what if Dak doesn't resign with the Cowboys? What if Jimmy G gets let go by San Francisco? What if other guys, you know, so like that's going to be where it becomes interesting, where if there are other guys available and shoot, maybe some of these quarterbacks that the Patriots like end up slipping in the draft a little bit. They end up with a, you know, a top 20 pick and they get someone. Hey, if that happens, great, but you're already set up. You know, you can't plan for that at the beginning of free agency because it's a month before the, the draft starts. So, you know, that's that's something where they're going to have to make that decision before the draft happens. And so um, it's going to be really interesting to see. I think that, you know, we here, very pro Stidham. <laughs> um, but, you know, Cam is, and and I've had this conversation with a bunch of people, like, not that I, not that I disliked Cam before, not that I had a really bad, a poor opinion of him, but, my, you know, Cam is a type of guy who my opinion of him has changed with him being here. I didn't realize the professional that he was and how, like how humble he is and how much, you know, he really kind of, he's just a leader on and off the field. And he yeah. just, he brings this attitude to, to, you know, press conferences and into the, where it's just, it's incredibly impressive. And it's something from far away. I, I just didn't realize. I just didn't see it. And so, of course, you see the flashy dressing and everything else like that. And so, you know, you kind of get this image in your head. And then he comes here and you're like, oh, my God, this guy is like the true, like a consummate pro. And like you can see why all of his teammates love him. And one thing, too, is he's, yeah. he's an alpha male, which that they lost, you know, comes into a locker room. He lights up the room, something that they yep. had for so long with Tom. When you lose that, that that's hard for a locker room. He's that guy who comes in. I mean, Belichick said it on, I think it was Tuesday, how every teammate knows him. He gets to know everybody. You know, he's loose. He can. He's like a big brother to everybody. I think that's so important, especially for a team like this, where they have so much youth and at, at some key spots where they can kind of use him as a resource. And I think he's come in and done such a great job. Obviously, coming in late. And kind of taking over and making it his team is it's not it's not easy and he he's made it he's made it look pretty easy. Yeah, Ryan, and you've been on a on a team and you coach a team. You've been on a team team at college level, so you understand the dynamics in the locker room. And I think particularly yeah. in football and especially at that particular position, you have to have a guy that comes in and commands the room, and that everybody rallies around and and believes is the right guy for the job. And I think there's no doubt from day one. And when Pat talks about the consistent work ethic and the consistent energy, you saw that at training camp. We saw that those of us who had, who had a, an opportunity, the few of us to attend the practices that, that were open to the media every day. He's very vocal. It's a completely different style of leadership than Tom Brady exhibited, at least publicly out on the fields. Cam is more of a cheerleader and, you know, there's a lot of singing and a lot of uh, jawing. Brady yeah. would, would definitely talk a lot with his teammates as, as well. But, it's, it, it, you know, that personality, that energy was, was, was evident every day as soon as he came out on the field and from, from that moment on until the time he left and you hear the stories from teammates and the coaches about how he's a, a, an early guy in and he's a late guy out and he's been consistent with his work ethic, the accountability uh, with which he spoke during some really difficult times and, and the honesty in terms of his own assessment of his play. I think a lot of people around here have been surprised because I think, you know, you're right. You, you, you have a tendency, I think, uh, to, to look at somebody and say flashy dresser, at least a lot of people do. Uh, and right. you kind know, of wonder what, you know, is there substance to go with the style really? 
And when he left, some of the, the social messaging, social media messaging that I saw from people like Christian McCaffrey and Greg Olson and some of the other rock-solid longtime Carolina Panthers told yeah. me, you know, this guy, this teammates loved him. Ron Rivera loved him. You know, this guy is going to fit in here better than a lot of people think uh, because a lot of people wonder, well, how is he going to be able to play for Bill Belichick? Cam is an extremely bright guy and on and off the field, his football IQ. And he's always, wherever he's been, it's been a short stint at, at Florida, but then a short stint in junior college. He sucked it up and went to the middle of Texas uh, near Cal Paddy's, led his junior college to the national championship. Then he goes to Auburn. One year, he's the captain, he leads them, carries that team on his back to the national championship, and goes to the NFL, and right away, he's the, he's the rookie of the year. And the Panthers, you know, uh, with his leadership at the quarterback spot, you know, they were a team that, whose coach was on the verge of being fired. And, and they, you know, in a division where the, the division leader tended to turn over every year, I mean, Carolina was the most consistent team in the NFC South for a period of four or five years there with Rivera coaching and Newton at quarterback, including the 15-1 and one season, of course, when they lost to the Broncos in the Super Bowl. So, you know, I think when you, when you look back on it and try to do it a little more objectively, um, and again, maybe we shouldn't be surprised based on what a lot of the Carolina Panthers who were with him said about him. But I, I, I've been surprised the way he's handled the ups and downs so consistently. And, you know, again, I think that he seems to me to be the kind of guy. And I know like in sports talk radio around here, we're always searching, well, what, what's the ulterior <laughs> motive? What, cool. why, yeah. why, you know, why, why are Bill and, jo- and Josh stroking him so much these days? You know, what do they try to do? They try to get him on the cheap for next year, try to keep motivated, whatever it might be. But I, I do think that, you know, the, there's, there's enough reason to believe that, you know, he's a guy that, that they would strongly, I think, consider uh, moving forward uh, again. With, with Belichick, it's always got to be the right deal. But right, nonetheless, the kind of guy they would want to work with. And you know, to your point as well about young players, and there's been so much discussion, and it's fair to criticize some of the draft classes and to question some of the draft classes in the past. But there's some, but so much discussion about the young players on this team. And last week I was on uh, Falgar and Maz, and Tony Maserati asked me, are there young players to build around? And I do think that there's young talent on this team. The last two draft classes, I think, have a potential to be really productive for the Patriots for the next few years. Now, the 16-17 classes, the first picks from 14 and 15, you go back and you look at those drafts, some of the second-round picks through the years, the Jordan Richards, uh, the Duke Dawsons. Yeah, there's more than enough reason and evidence to question some of those classes. Now, you've got to keep in mind, too, like some, of those, some of those drafts, at a point in time, particularly in that, that stretch of the three Super Bowls in, in five years, when there weren't going to be a lot of guys to make the team anyway. Right. And now you look back on it as they transition from an old roster, the oldest in the league last year, to try to be a younger team. And now there's a lot of more holes are evident. And I don't think it's just the departure of the quarterback. Uh, so, so to me, I look at like, okay, Nikhil Harry thus far has not worked out. And people are always going to judge the 2000 and 19 draft class based on him. There will be a certain segment of people who will do that. But there are some young players out of that draft. How many people killed them for drafting Damian Harris because he didn't play at all last year? Yep. And now look at him. And some of those same people are saying, oh, I love this guy. Yeah, I think, I think Winovich has the potential. Uh, if, if he continues to develop into an all-around defensive player, to be a real good player for them. I think there's some other guys from last year's draft class that have potential. I think from this Kobe year, Myers. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, yeah. And, 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 yeah, as an undrafted guy from last year, but the, you know, he's still part of that class, no question about it. And then I look at like this year. The tight ends have not worked out, and that looks bad. But the two rookies, again, no spring on the field, unusual circumstances. Right now they're dealing with a couple of injuries with Asiasi and Keen. But their careers aren't over, and, and you know, they're going to have an opportunity to develop, especially with an offseason in the program. And the same goes for some other guys. But they've already found a starting offensive lineman, a guy that you know very few people thought could play tackle in the NFL, and, and he's been phenomenal thus far, Michael Olenu. Uh, 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 and then Justin Huron, uh, who's, who's banged up now. People, a lot of evaluators thought, well, he, his future in the NFL would be as an interior guy. And I think he showed us that he could handle the tackle spot. So I think I look, I look at those two guys. Those are two pretty good guys down the offensive line, um, which is a strength of the team already. So yep. I, I think that as much as they deserve scrutiny and some criticism and questions about some of the draft classes in the last draft, I, I think there's reason to believe these last two classes can bear a lot of fruit going forward. I agree. I agree. All right. So last question, try to answer honestly, quick. Don't think about it. The Patriots make the playoffs or not. (laughs) I've got, I've got to say yes. I mean, that's it. (laughs) You heard it here first. Bob Tozzi says the Patriots are in the playoffs. (laughs) Book it right now. Well, well, just just don't bet too much. Y'all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hey, good odds right now. I think Felger said yeah, today it's put, like five to one. That's it. So you throw throw a few bucks on it and see what happens. Then you can send Bob a message and tell him thank you. That's all you know. So we know I'm watching Kyler Murray right now, and uh, you know you talked about this, the swing of six quarters. I mean, just that Sunday alone for the Bills to lose that game on the play that oh, they did. God, you know we talk about all these wild card possibilities. Yep. The division is still very much, you know, undecided. I mean, the Bills are in a great position. Miami's charging hard. But as you said earlier, Ryan, I think the Patriots, those teams got to play each other. The Patriots get two cracks at those teams, you know, mm-hmm. one each. Uh, you know, the Bills still have to play Pittsburgh. Their schedule is still uh, pretty strenuous going down the stretch. So uh, I think the Patriots, you know, they're you not out of it yet. They, they got to get over. They got to get to the hump and get over the hump first. They got to win these next couple, and then we'll start talking about the playoffs. Right, exactly. So, Bob, thank you so much, man, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, before we let you leave, you got to plug yourself. You know, let everyone know where they can, you know, see you, read you, hear you, everything else. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I'm on Twitter at Bob Soci S O C C I. During the week, we have a podcast on 985 The Sports Hub, available on our website. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. It's the Gridiron and Beyond, not my, not my name. I, I, uh, I guess I had veto power over it, but uh, that's, what it's, uh, that's what it's titled, the, the Gridiron and Beyond. And my guest this week is Jeff Benedict, who wrote oh, the book, okay. The Dynasty, about uh, the Patriots championship Oh, I'm reading run. that right now, Bob. I can't put it down. I tweeted out, oh, it's, yeah. it's so awesome. It's giving me something to do. It's fantastic. All this. Oh, it's so, great. Yeah, yeah. So Jeff is great, and uh, we, we spent about an hour chatting about the process of the book and, and the three principles, Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. Tom Brady, of course. And, uh, you know, that, that, that podcast comes out each week. And, of course, you can hear me on the games on 98.5 The Sports Hub and all of our affiliates around New England. All right. Hey, Bob, thank you so much, man. Thank really you so much, Bob. It. Appreciate it again. Pat, Ryan, you guys take care. Enjoyed it.